Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Oh, you're going to blow me, all right. Okay, three songs, no covers. I need you guys to be amazing tonight, so start drinking now. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Rock of Ages. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the back of Stacy Jack's limo. What's that smell? <laughs> my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Rock and roll. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hey, man. Scotch me. <laughs> How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Ready yeah. to rock on. <laughs> professor. I don't even know how to address that because there's a lot of things going on in this film and I'm not sure rocking is one of them. So I have heard a rumor that I may be banned from picking musicals for a little while. I don't think that's a rumor, bud. I think that was uh, I think that was three guy law. I think we put that in there. What do you think, professor? I'm pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. We're having a uh, two guy revolution. No, not a revolution. We are just, um, you know, we're cooling the jets a little bit. That's all. That's all. We're not saying you can't like musicals. We're not saying you can't pick musicals. What we are saying is you just can't pick musicals right now or for the next few months. And since we are on the topic of musicals, John, it was your pick. Why Rock of Ages, please and thank you. In an internet blog I posted 30 years ago, before the word blog even existed, I wrote that music is a true source of time travel. One minute, you're in the present, a song comes on the radio, and suddenly you're transported to another time and another place. The more powerful the connection to a song, the more you are taken back. To me, that's what music, if it's well-picked in a movie, really does. It really connects with the audience. I'm a big fan of 80s music, so I love the choices made for the soundtrack for this movie. I also believe that music tells a story to each of us. Often, it's not the exact story the artist meant, but sometimes it's more personal to each of us. I love how this movie takes a series of songs and repurposes them to tell us a specific story. I'll be the first to admit, the story in this movie is very cliche, and a lot of the acting definitely will never win any awards. But if you're a fan of the music and of mashups, and don't take this movie too seriously, which is what they never meant it to be. They never meant for people to take this movie seriously. It can be a fun ride. And while this movie isn't on my cinema gold list, the soundtrack is on my cinema gold playlist. I feel like that was his fucking review. It kind of felt like that. A little bit, right? Yeah. You know what? That was very nicely put, John, and I am not going to disagree with you on, well, 90% of that. But I will counter with this. 
what if the music is bad in a musical? Does that... You're absolutely right. If you don't connect with the music, if you don't appreciate the music... Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. saying. I, I, I connect with all of those songs because that's my childhood, but they performed it horribly. Well, that's and I'm, so it takes me out of it. I'm saying another way of connecting is do you like the way it was performed and presented? If you don't like uh, Diego's, the way he sang his songs, or the actress that played Sherry, the way she sang hers, or even Tom Cruise, the way he performed it, you're not going to connect with the song at all. You're not going to connect with the music at all. And you're going to feel bummed out because I know you're a huge Journey fan and you're a huge Def Leppard fan. And to you... They could be butchering these songs, and that takes you completely out of this movie. Oh, we're going to get to that, good sir. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to that. So uh, let me ask you this then there, tough guy. Have you seen the musical? Yes, I have. How could he not have? Well, I just wanted to make sure, and uh, I know that, okay. and you know that. Okay. okay. I've seen but maybe three. the listeners didn't know that. I've seen three versions of the stories. I've seen the Vegas version, I've seen the musical, and I've seen the movie. What's the difference between the Vegas version and the musical. The Vegas version is basically them just performing the songs with all the, without all the acting in between. Oh, so it's just like a concert. It's just all like the mashups and a quick version. It's like an hour-long version of the musical. So it's the Vegas version. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's the enough. Vegas version. The musical is a, almost a completely different storyline. Uh, and in fact, the uh, guy who created it, created the actual musical version, hated the movie. He hated from the point that he saw the trailer. And as soon as he saw there was a monkey in it, he was out. He hated it. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't hate the check that they gave him. Mm. Um, Professor, had you seen this movie? No, the first time was uh, watching it for the pod. Oh, excellent. Excellent. How about you, Don? Uh, This is the second time that I've seen it. And I I remember the first time I saw it, I remember thinking to myself, "Eh, it wasn't so bad. You know, I could stomach it. And then I watched it again last night, and my first thought was... Will there ever be a third time you watch it? <laughs> no, good question, sir, but no. My first thought was either I wasn't on enough drugs or I was on too many drugs, because I don't know why I thought it was good. So there you have it. Well, let me ask you this. The original tagline for this movie was nothing but a good time. And I heard a little rumor that you have rewritten the tagline for this movie. What would that new tagline be? Rock of Ages, shitting on my childhood since 2012. Released on June 15th, 2012, Rock of Ages was directed by Adam Shankman. Screenplay by Chris Direnzio, Alan Loeb, and Justin Thoreau. And it stars Juliana Huff, Diego Bunta, Russell Brand, Paul Giamatti, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Malin Ackerman, Mary J. Blige, Alec Baldwin, and Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Dr. Cuckoo Pants, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $75 million. How much did it bring in? And it brought in $59 million. How much of that 75 you think went to Dr. Cuckoo Pants? Well, it's a little earlier in his career. I don't know if he got a big cut. 2012, early in his career? Well, the, the big change happens with Mission Impossible 2. 
Mission Impossible 2 is when Cruise started restructuring how he gets paid. Yeah, but that was probably in the early 2000s. So I don't know. Yeah. After, I guess at the time, I wasn't really paying attention, but now since doing this pod and how much we've actually been talking about Tom Cruise and then watching his performance, knowing how much he gets into character and fuck it, we'll go into casting right now. Um, I bet you he learned how to play those songs. Mm-hmm. I bet you he learned everything, you know, cause he gets that because that's what he does. That's what he does. Right. He did I had, six months with a vocal coach. Yeah. When he commits, he commits. He, he, he practiced for like five hours a day for like four months. And this is one of those times when I look at the screen and I see Tom Cruise. I did that all the way through. I didn't see the character where he was playing like in the other one, movies that we've reviewed with him. In this particular one, maybe it's so maybe because it hits kind of close to home. You know what I mean? I can see the Stacey Jacks persona being very much a kind of persona within Tom Cruise. I think I have to go the opposite direction, and maybe it's because I'm not as deep as both of you into other Tom Cruise movies. I haven't really watched all the Mission Impossible. I've watched some of his other movies. You know, I'm a fan of Edge, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Top Gun, things like that, but I'm not as big of a Tom Cruise fan. So I did see him really get into this role and lose himself into the character and kind of channel what he was going for, which was uh, an Al, a, uh, Axel Rose kind of Jim Morrison type character. Uh, and yeah, I thought he did a good job, especially with the song Pour Some Sugar on Me. I thought he he looked like a rocker. Bite your fucking tongue, good sir. He doesn't do Don't ever mention the beloved Def Leppard and Dr. Cuckoo Pants in the same sentence ever again. No, he will never be as good as Def Leppard. No, before. no, that's not even a question. What I'm saying is don't ever say it. But I thought he looked like a rock star. Okay, there you go. What'd you think of Cruz? I think he was probably the most interesting character in the movie. And each time his character was on screen, I was waiting to see what sort of batshit crazy stuff he was going to do. The introduction we get to him when he's uh, asleep and Paul goes in to wake him up. It's, you know, it, the green room has been transformed. Yeah. And you have the little monkey with the gun. Hey, man. Uh, speaking of Paul, what would you guys think of Paul Giamatti? I really enjoyed him in this role. I did too. I, I always I, there are a few bright spots in this movie, and it's, it's I think the supporting Paul, cast. The supporting cast is what makes this movie good. I mean, like maybe one or two of them. When he plays a dick, he he's amazing in the, yeah. those movies. Yeah, he always does it so well. Yeah. Speaking of the supporting cast, let's talk about Alec Baldwin and Russell Brand. What do you guys think of their characters? Alec Baldwin. Dennis was my other favorite character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between those two characters and the comedy that they did together, uh, I would say the three characters that really stole the movie was Tom Cruise, Alec Baldwin, and Russell Brand. Sure. I remember thinking that I liked their performance the first time I watched it. And when I watched it last night, I was thinking to myself, Alec, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Russell Brand I bought. And I actually like Russell Brand. And I, I like Alec Baldwin too, but... His hair bothered me. His hair bothered me too. And just kind of, he felt like he was forced to be there. Did you hear what he said about the movie? He loved it. He hated this movie. And the only reason he took the role, there was only one reason. Lay it on me. He wanted to act with Tom Cruise. Well, that's, I guess if you're in Hollywood, a pretty good reason. And he went on, I guess, to do it again in Mission Impossible 2. Oh, he's in a couple of them, I think. He's one of those. But that was the next one time yeah. they were together. But yeah. he basically said the only reason he took the role is because Tom Cruise was in it. Julianne Huff, what do you think of her? 
Um, I know Julianne Huff from uh, Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I thought she was okay. Uh, she had bright spots. Uh, I didn't buy that she was from the Midwest, but she did all right. What about you? She was passable. I, I found her uninteresting. Of the performers in it, she was okay. She was all right. And I kind of I disagree with you know whether or not she was from the Midwest. I thought in, of the 80s vibe of an Oklahoma girl who doesn't know anything is pretty naive. I thought she did okay in the role. You don't think she would have had an accent? Maybe. Have you? <laughs> I don't This okay. movie wasn't really about realism. <laughs> Let's just put it there. Uh, I don't know if that's realism as far as more of paying attention to detail. Yeah. So, but that's fine. That's fine. Uh, What'd you guys think of Diego? Hated him. Drew. Forgettable. Absolutely. Yeah. He immediately just turns me off. And I don't know, maybe it's the hair or Or just the character. He just couldn't act. How he was written. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Do you know that the two actors that they originally wanted for the parts, uh, for Sherry, they wanted Taylor Swift, which I thought would have been an interesting take. I would have loved to hear her versions of those songs. Oh, it already it already increases the likability for me. And I'm a Tay Tay guy. And someone who really wanted to be in this movie, but they thought he was too young, a Zac Efron. Oh, fuck! As, shut the door. Drew. Give me a Rock of Ages with Zac and Tay Tay any day of the week. I know. I think right there, you would have made back the money on this movie. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, or made a good movie. I, I don't, don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Crazy, I, crazy, crazy. I've only seen Tay Tay in one movie that she was in. I guess it was like a Valentine's Day movie, and her acting wasn't that great. So I don't know how her acting would have been in this movie, but I think her performance and singing would have been a thousand times better. Oh, sure, sure. She's grown since that movie. Um, and then just kind of rounding it out real quick, you have Catherine Zeta-Jones, Mylene Ackerman, and Mary J. Blige. What did you guys think of these three ladies? I thought Catherine Zeta-Jones did an okay job. Uh, not very believable at times, uh, but was okay. Forgettable. <laughs> okay, lightning round. Mary J. Mary J. Mary J. Blige. Oh, uh, she was okay. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought you know how I said bright spots. I thought Mary J was a bright spot. She was. She's awesome. I love she Mary was J. only put in the movie, I think, to sell tickets. Basically, to have the one professional singer in there as a main cast. Yep. I dug. Uh, I also didn't mind uh, Malin Ackerman playing Constance. Yeah, she fit the role. Yeah, she fit the role. Uh, I know her best from Watchmen. Did you guys ever see that movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so. Mike Whitmore, played by Brian Cranston. His character was fun. Uh, sure. I mean, you knew stereotypical. He a, yeah. He was a stoolie. You knew it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything about this, you knew. You know what I mean? What do you think of the all the different rock star cameos in this movie? Did you catch a lot of them? I didn't catch any of them. Uh, I, I only caught the one, and that's when they are all doing the mashup of We're Not Gonna Take It, and We Built This City. Yeah, because they had there, they had uh, the lead singer from REO Speedwagon. Uh, they had, uh, what's his name from Skid Row? Sebastian, Sebastian Bach. Bach. Debbie um, Gibson. Debbie Gibson was in that crowd. Uh, during the boardroom where the guy comes up with pop singers, mm-hmm. that guy was, uh, I, f- I forget what his name is, but he was originally on, I think, American Idol, and then went on to be the first Drew in the 
musical version. I would have no idea. Yeah. Should have let him have the role. Amen, brother. Amen. And since we're on the topic of this kind of jazz, soundtrack, what'd you guys think of the song selections going back to the 80s? I thought the song selections were fine. I just wish that I had the songs and not the recreation of the songs. I feel you. I feel you, buddy. Well, let me ask you this. Are you a, a fan of mashups? No. See, if you hate mashups, you're going to hate this movie. Well, they did one that was decent. And when we get to that part, I'll talk about it. Okay. But other than that, no. The mashups drove me up the fucking wall. See, I didn't mind. the. the I like the songs. You know, I, I like them especially more the original versions. But I didn't mind the mashups. And I kind of liked the way they had kind of put it all together. The only thing that bugged me is that some of the songs they use, you mentioned earlier, I think, that this movie is supposed to take place in 1987. And some of the songs that they used came out after 1987, like Extremes More Than Words came out in 1991. So it was a little odd to have songs that didn't represent the 80s that were actually from the 90s. Not that anyone was keeping score, but which bands had the most songs represented? Def Leppard? That's one of them. Was it Foreigner? That's the other. And there's one more. Journey? Nope. Uh, Twisted Sister had two, I think. Nope. Just one. And the answer is Poison. Well, there you go. Poison had three. Chris DiArnzo, uh, the original writer of the musical, said one of the points of this movie was just to connect people with the music and to kind of give in to the silliness and the goofiness of it. As he put it, this is, you know, it's, it's a good story. And if you don't like Warren's cherry pie, well, then you're a fucking dick because it's good. And we're going to show you why it's good. That's what the kind of, what he meant for the musical to be about. And that's all great and dandy for the musical, but it did, mm-hmm. this did not translate to the screen. No. And that's so. the same thing Chris said is he was very disappointed when he saw the trailer. He knew right away. This was not his musical. This was not what he had originally written. Adam Shankman wanted to have the movie lightened up. He knew it would be a hard R if he stuck with it. And so he wanted something that was going to be more family friendly, something a little softer. Hey, Don, you know what time it is? Uh, Is it time to rock? It is always time to rock, but no, it's trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown a master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions based on today's movie. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. Let's start out with an easy one. What year is this movie supposed to take place? 1987. Very good. Who got it? Both of you. It's a tie. Okay. Well, you got to let us know because apparently this fucker beat me last week. And so now it's on. Yeah. What state is Sherry from? Oklahoma. Goes to Ken. On the bus, as Sherry goes through her record collection, what is the first record she sees? Arsenal. What was that, Ken? Aerosmith. It was Aerosmith. Permanent vacation. Fuck. When Sherry reads the back of her photo, who is the message written by? Her Her nana. Grandmother. I'll give you guys a tie. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. What is the name of the waitress who quits the night Sherry gets hired at the bourbon room? Meredith. Tammy. Tammy Lynn. I don't know. Beth. Beth. Beth is her name. Oh. Beth. Kiss. What is Mayor Whitmore's nickname for his wife, Patricia? 
Poopy poo. Poochie poo. Poopy? You just like saying poopy. Poopy doop? You got, got anything, Professor? Nope. Patty cake. That was close. At Tower Records, what was the price on all the albums? Six ninety nine. Nine forty four. Nine forty four. Very good, Don. What are the three things that Patricia says Stacy Jack spews out? Sex, sex, something else, and, and sex. sex. Okay, I'll give you guys a half a point. It was sex, hateful music, and sex. I knew it had something to do with hate, but I didn't remember what. Yeah. Hey, we got two out of three. What is the name of Stacy's monkey? Hey man. hey, man. I think Don. I think you were quick on that one. When Stacy Jack's manager Paul Gill took on Drew as a client, he ev- eventually put him in what boy band? The Z Guys. I'll give that to you both, Ty. Although Don, I do like your presentation, pronunciation, and presentation. What does Stacy Jacks? Ask Sherry to fetch a bottle of from his limo and bring it to him. Scotch. Yep. A cut glass container of of bourbon, actually. Same thing. Okay. What is the name of the club run by Justice that hires Sherry in Rock of Ages? Venus Club. Yep, it's the Venus Club. Well, it's the Venus Gentleman's Club, but I will give that to you, Ken. I don't know how he couldn't. But go on. And here is our final question. For all the marbles, what is Stacy Jacks a slave to? The music. Sex. Rock and roll. I got it right. Music? Isn't rock and roll music? That's not specific. He's not a slave to country music. I I know. He's a slave to music. Rock and He's roll. He's a slave music. to rock and roll. That's the quote. So are you saying I got it wrong? Yeah. So that uh Keeps Professor in the lead. This is some bull shit. In 1987, Los Angeles, Sherry Christian arrives from Oklahoma with dreams of becoming a singer. Barback Drew Boley prepares for another night at the Bourbon Room. Sister Christian, just like Paradise, nothing but a good time. Sherry's suitcase is stolen, and Drew gets her a job as a waitress at the Bourbon Room. Desperate to save the club from a tax debt, the club's owner, Dennis Dupree, and his right-hand man, Lonnie Barnett, book Stacy Jacks, a detached and self-indulgent rock star preparing for his final gig with his band, Arsenal. Drew tells Sherry his own dreams of becoming a rock star, but that he has stage fright. Jukebox hero, I love rock and roll. Learning of Stacy's upcoming concert, Patricia Whitmore, the conservative wife of Mayor Mike Whitmore, organizes a protest in front of the club. Hit me with your best shot. All right, comic book guys, your movie kicked me off. So we start on the bus from Oklahoma with Sherry, we get our first performance. And one thing, Professor, I wanted to bring up, I wanted to ask you specifically. You said when we were watching Greatest Showman 
Now, one of the things that I don't know if it bothered you or just kind of have you felt about it. You felt like it was just one, you know, one music video to another music video to another music video to another music video. Uh, did you feel the same about this movie? Did you feel like you were just watching a series of music videos? Yeah. I, I got through Paradise City and then Sister Christian started and then I audibly groaned out loud twice thinking I've got a long movie to go. Yeah. The big difference, I think, in my opinion, with The Greatest Showman in this movie is this one, I think, is supposed to give you that video feeling like each one is a music video uh, because they, they're trying to at least somewhat match the song with the situation that's going on in the movie. They don't always do a great job with that. We'll get back to that later on in this podcast. But I felt the opening kind of did a good job with kind of, you know, saying where she, you know, where she's coming from, where she's been, where she's going, uh, and how she's not ready for what she's about to get into. It was okay. I don't know. What, what did you say, think, uh, Don? I was kind of in the same boat with you, Professor. Uh, when Sister Christian starts, um, I'm thinking, first of all, her name's Sherry, right? I didn't realize her last name was Christian, so now that kind of makes sense. Uh, I thought that it was going along okay, and then everybody got involved. And they turned it into a group number. And then we turned it into Poison's Nothing But a Good Time, which I'll fucking admit it. I like Poison, and that's one of my favorite songs of theirs. And I think the problem for me in, with this film, and it starts here, is that I didn't think the performances were all that great. The music was there. The energy was there. But maybe I'm tone deaf or I'm just overcritical i don't know what it is i just didn't think it was all that great this style of musical is the one where the songs will directly feed the story forward it's part of the actual dialogue greatest showman some of the words are but they're just songs you know what i mean but this one moves us along in the story these songs were selected to help propel the story right they do on paper but the performances don't sell me. Not with the energy. The energy of the songs does not match the energy of the characters. And though I appreciate the time period and what they're trying to do, I think this style of musical is done better in Across the Universe. So, The way I see it is looking at Greatest Showman compared to this one, if you took all of the music out of Greatest Showman, you still got a fairly decent storyline going. You take all the music out of this movie, you have nothing. Well, you just have I, a really, you have a two-minute story of boy meets girl, uh, boy gets, you know, his, his career chance and blah, 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 and all the cliche stuff happens. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even a comparison. Yeah. So, and now uh, she gets off the bus and, you know, typically her luggage gets stolen and Diego comes to the rescue and, you know, conveniently he can get her a job. Um, what did you guys think of their whole interaction? Did you buy their chemistry? No, not at all. The way that they instantly had kismet with each other and how they instantly, you know, warmed to each other. I just didn't buy it for a New York second. I, I thought it was strange that, you know, she came off the bus kind of fairly trusting and having high hopes immediately gets her record select, you know, her record collection, suitcase, everything stolen and trust the next guy that comes up to her and, you know, smiles at her basically. And just put her in a, in a box of just being probably the stupidest tourist, I think, to any city. 
Well, if you don't, then you don't have a movie. Exactly. And I suppose it works out for her because they go inside and now we're introduced to the bourbon, right? You, you got to think that the bar is a character, you know, because mm. this is where, this is where it's all happening. And we are introduced to Alec Baldwin's character and Russell Brand's character. And we have uh, more songs going on. And we find out that Stacy Jacks is coming to town. Yeah, he's about to go solo. Yeah. Yeah. So really, the quick setup is we have two musicians, potential musicians, who are just starting. They want to break into the business. And now you also have the introduction of a character who's at the end of his career, who basically is going to go solo, and you can see the damage that the music industry has done to him, and he's on his way burning out. Right. So it's kind of like a glimpse I almost want to say foreshadowing of what could happen to them. Sure. Sure. That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Sherry gets the the job. And I'm just going to throw this out here real quick. With a name like Sherry, didn't you think we were going to get O'Sherry? I don't know why we didn't. We got the opening bars. We got a few notes. And then that was it. So strike two, fuckers. Well, the movie didn't want to be too obvious. So Sherry gets a job. Her and Drew. And... What a dumb fucking name, Drew. He couldn't have a name from a guy in a song that we all know. I'm sorry to all the Drews out there. Your name is not dumb. Oh, I okay. Let, let me rephrase. In as far as a musical goes with popular songs, you have Sherry right as one of the main characters. You would think that the guy's name would be from a song as well. But they didn't. They picked Drew, and I just thought that was a silly choice. And if I offended anyone with the name Drew, I do apologize. So they go to a record store. Well, wait. In between, we meet Mike and Patricia Whitmore. Oh, yes. <laughs> How could I forget? What you guys think of these two conservative um, music haters that, you know, was so... So prominent in the 80s. Knew right off the bat who he was. He was this cardboard person that had no spine and it was actually being run by his wife. Yes. Yes. What do you think there, Guy? Uh, their storyline always kind of bothered me. I mean, she made this whole big thing about wanting to, you know, destroy rock and roll and take out rock and roll. Uh, yet they're going to do that by just destroying one bar on a strip that may take out the rest of the strip, but that's not going to end rock and roll. Hey, you got to start somewhere and that's their thinking. Yeah. And really they make it apparent, you know, earlier on that it's because he's got a guy that's like a donor of his or a supporter of his who just wants the strip for real estate. So they're just, their whole thing right, you know, right away, you know, is just a con job. Did you catch the, uh, the acronym of Patricia's group, Patty Cake's group? No. What was it? The acronym of Patricia Whitmore's group, uh, her religious group, was the Ladies Organization to Stop Evil Rock Singers. So they were the losers. Oh. So right there again, we are already told what their outcome will be, if it wasn't obvious. So Diego and Sherry go to the record store, and I I immediately had to laugh because uh, they do Jukebox Hero. From Foreigner, which I like Foreigner, I'll admit it. Uh, and then they do this whole elaborate song and dance. And and you have to assume that, you know, like in some musicals, it might be happening in their head. 
But this one, you have to think that it's actually happening, right? And so they finish the song, they start to talk, and he proceeds to tell her he has... Stage fright. And my question is, weren't you just on the record things and dancing? And singing. And singing. Well, he has stage fright when he gets on stage. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, otherwise it's just fright. Oh, gotcha. Okay, thanks, comic book guy. I'm glad you're here to clear these things up for us. And it ends with, are you asking me out on a date? So right off the bat, they've met a couple hours ago, and they're smitten kittens. Really? You know, I don't have that hard of a time believing it. Um, You always ask me, do I believe in love at first sight? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I don't doubt that the two characters would move that quickly. What I had reservations with was, why him? And I'm thinking, he sees hundreds of people every night. Right. And so, why why is she immediately so special? Well, because she's from Oklahoma. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just uh, grasping at straws here, but it's true. The motor Drew and Sherry have their first date at the Hollywood sign, where Drew reveals he is writing a song for Sherry. Don't stop believing. On the night of Arsenal's final show, Dennis learns the opening act has canceled. Sherry convinces him to use Drew's band, Wolfgang Von Colt. More than words, heaven. Stacy's manager, Paul Gill, schedules an interview with Constance Sack, a reporter for Rolling Stone. Constance mentions rumors of Stacy's difficult behavior and implies he was kicked out of Arsenal, which Stacy denies wanted dead or alive stacy sends sherry for a bottle of scotch in his limo constance lashes out at the once great stacy they recognize their mutual attraction and are about to have sex when stacy sings i want to know what love is ashamed constance leaves as sherry enters and collides with stacy drew mistakenly believes that sherry and stacy had sex and is angrily inspired to sing I Want to Rock for the opening act. Drew and Sherry break up, and she quits the bourbon room. Paul, impressed with his performance, offers Drew a record deal as Arsenal sings their last song of the night, Pour Some Sugar on Me. So our scene where they're setting up for their date and everything, and Sherry is doing her hair, did that remind you of any other movie? You mean like it's something about Mary? Yeah, I, I keep, when she had her hair straight up or whatever, I just kept seeing that. That's funny that you say that because it, it goes into a uh, a song, obviously, Waiting for a Girl Like You. And um, when she's doing her hair, all I could think of was, am I watching like Airplane or something? I don't know why, I just got that Zucker vibe. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you guys think of the date? Well, we jumped over... Our introduction to Stacy Jacks. Did we? Yep. Oh, well, fuck. All right, let's talk about Dr. Cuckoo Pants. 
Yeah, we have uh, Dennis calling Paul, wanting reassurances that he's really, truly going to show up. And then we see Paul with his brick cell phone. (laughs) God, those phones. And then we go into the green room, which has been transformed into this otherworldly place. I love that the gun doesn't go off the first time with the monkey. He's like, oh, of course you wouldn't give bullets to a monkey. Sure. But then (laughs) there's a gunshot a few seconds later. Do you notice that Kevin Nash was one of the security guards? I did notice that, in fact. Yeah. And so Stacy is awakened by Paul, and he has to get out of the blankets, which are like three women. You got to admit, that is probably one of Tom Cruise's best entrances in a movie. Yeah, I'm I'm not even going to argue that one. You need to get on stage. I am on stage. What do you think of his performance? I think we kind of just touched on it, but... Just, I mean, real quick, you bought him as this character, Professor? More or less, I I appreciated watching the eccentricity that the rock and roll lifestyle that he was presenting because we have all heard occasional stories of rock and rollers and their uh, very, 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 very different life that they, that they uh, embody when they're on the road and doing their tours. And I know you liked it. But well, I mean, I thought again, I thought he was the highlight of the movie because sure. I felt like, you know, Tom Cruise, you can call him cuckoo pants, all that. And we know he's he's a little eccentric, but he really does put himself into his roles. And I felt like he really put himself into a burned out rock star. Yeah, I suppose. Like I said, when I looked up there, I just saw Tom Cruise. And for me in this particular film, that kind of sucked. But yeah, and he was in pretty good shape, is. too. So uh, the opening band for Arsenal cancels, and Sherry has this great idea. Uh, let Drew's band open. And I that loved this Dennis was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, at first, the, the, well, the opening band was Concrete Balls, and apparently they're in rehab, and he's like, well, which of the balls? All of them. All of the balls? They have a lot of balls. Uh, but I just like the fact of, at first he's like, no, I, I don't, you know, I don't hire people who sing, blah, blah, blah. Fine. I'll let them do it. Go contact your band. And he turns around, he contacts all the guys working on the stage and working around the bar. And he's like, doesn't anybody here just want to work in a bar? Nobody wants to want to clean the kitchen, Dennis. Um, and so we find out that his band's name is Wolfgang Von Colt. I really appreciated the line that we get from one of the waitresses that that ends up uh, haunting Sherry later on, which is the spotlight doesn't just light them up. It makes us disappear. Yeah, good line. Because it's at this point he gets on stage for the first time and they're doing rehearsal. And this brings us to probably the only song I liked, the only performance. More than words? More than words. I'm I'm a big fan of the song to begin with, but the way they did it, I thought was okay until they fucking mashed it up with heaven. Okay. But, but I think part of the reason why it works as well as it does is because it's being true to its form in, in its gentleness. Yeah. Whereas, you know, these other rock and roll songs, you know, the energy is just not there. And so now Stacy arrives to the venue and at the same time, rock of ages, uh, and that is actually the actual song mm-hmm. that's playing. So mm-hmm. out of the three Def Leppard songs that they play. That works. That one and Bring It On The Heartbreak are the only two that are the actual songs. And then 
pour some sugar on me is butchered. But we'll get there. And so Stacy shows up. At the same time, we have uh, Constance Sack, a reporter from the... Rolling Stone. They had talked about having Anne Hathaway play that part. They'd offered it out to a few different people. And uh, I thought it would have been kind of an interesting story to have uh, Anne Hathaway in that role. I do too. Uh, I think, again, the stock goes up. You know, you put Anne Hathaway, Tay Tay, and Zac Efron. Yeah, sure. Let's give it a shot. That's where we make it. There's another gal that, that was also in tight running, and her name slips my mind. Amy Adams yeah. was another one that was. Yeah. Both Anne Hathaway and Amy Adams had to turn down the movie because they both had superhero movies to make. Oh, there you go. What did you guys think of the whole interview scene? I enjoyed this whole interaction that we get with Stacy Jacks during all of this. When Dennis meets him for the first time and, and you know, he is just, you can't tell if he's high or if he's drunk or what it is. We have to burn this place down. Yeah, and then when he gets in, you know, to to his room and... Paul is introducing Constance and you're going to have an interview. It's going to be great. This is the essence of what I uh, appreciated about the character that made him compelling to watch because I'm curious to see what is he going to do or say next? Because all of the other things we've already seen with the character is he is just so far out of touch with what everybody else does in their daily life. Right. right. You have to wonder too, specifically right when this starts, is he out of it because of the drugs and alcohol and everything and he's just completely burned out? Or is he out of it because he just doesn't care anymore and he's completely burned out? And you get the sense when the interview starts, he's kind of somewhat there. And then all of a sudden you see some semblance when he basically starts talking and faking his little thing into the recording that, yeah, he really is there, but he's just lost it. He just doesn't care anymore. He's, he's basically become a slave. Well, I think Constance, she calls it out correctly. Mm -hmm. She also puts the idea in his head early on that maybe it's not so much you, it's your manager that's doing this to you. And so that puts, I think, in the back of his head that maybe there's something more to this. She's also the first one who talks back to him, it seems like. And he he listens to her. mm -hmm. And he appreciates she's telling him the truth for once. And you get that little, oh, no, I love you. You talk about, Don, all the time about the speed of movies and slow parts that really take you out of the movie. Did you feel, especially like this scene, did it seem to go by a little slow to you? Um, Yeah, a little bit. I think that, you know, they were trying to draw it out. It took. But, but you knew exactly what was going to happen. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there there were bits of this movie that felt drawn out. This is one of them, and another one would be the Z-Guys. So, there you go. He freaks out when he sees Constant, or he freaks out when he sees Sherry coming out, adjusting her, her top. Drew Follow- does, yeah. Oh, yeah, Drew does. Followed, yeah. followed by uh, Stacy, you know, redoing his pants and now he's got a burning rage inside but what i liked about this bit was tom cruise looks at him can't really understand why drew's looking at him the way he is so he just gives him a head nod like what's up dude we're both rock stars (laughs) so yeah and so naturally drew goes out on stage and he wants to rock and he kills it the way i took it was the manager knows that stacy jacks is on the way out and that he's only maybe got maybe a little bit more blood to get out of that stone. 
But then he looks at Drew and this is my next endeavor. This is where I'm going to start over again. Because he even sings that song about starting over. Um, that this is going to be the next guy he's going to use and abuse. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that, that was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Entice him to the fame of the future. Right. Mm-hmm. So, what the fuck is his name? So, Drew. Drew. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, I can't even think of a guy's name in a song at the moment. Jack? He doesn't Jack even, and Diane? He doesn't even tell her what she does wrong or what I, she did wrong. He doesn't I, question it. He just basically says, I'm done with you. I know I was getting there. Uh, they go out there, and he's all pissed off, and she doesn't know why, and then they break up. And I thought that was the dumbest part of the movie. How he shits all over her? Yeah. Yeah. And But, I mean, it, yeah. There was just no call for it, right? I get that he thinks that... She might have cheated on him. And with Stacey Jacks, okay, and, but, and he killed it on stage a second ago. Right. So, I mean, why not have a conversation? I don't know. You it know just what I tells mean? me the strength of their relationship. What relationship? Exactly. How about that? Because it's so, two days old. Yeah. So, anyways, I thought that part was dumb. And now... Tom Cruise. Stacy Jacks takes the stage and performs. Pour some sugar on me. What did you guys think of this? You guys probably loved it, didn't you? Let yeah. me start with the professor. Yeah, it was a, it was what I expected, sir. I I will say I thought it was a great performance. You got all kinds of happy, didn't you? You know, start dancing. Yeah, and you know, in fact, that they did he did it better than Death Leopard is perfect. Oh my fuck! No, no he did not. <laughs> You know why he says that, right? He, he wants he, me to fly off the handle. Yes, he does. And say some mean things. But you know what, good sir? It's not going to get to me. Not tonight. Fuck you. Okay? That's what I'm going to say. Fuck you. Um, And I don't know why the first time I watched it, I thought it was okay or decent. But last night, it just was so cringy to me. And uh, thank you. Uh, Dr. Cuckoo Pants for shitting all over one of my favorite songs of all time. I think that it's uh, kind of ballsy that you get up there and you're going to act like that in front of a bunch of people, right? Because you're acting. Well, well, but I mean, that's what performers do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, maybe maybe it just, I just didn't think... It, it, it has to be that I just don't think he's a good singer. Well, let me... I was going to say. Actually, I don't think any of them were good singers with the exception of Mary J. Blige and Julianne Huff in More Than Words. But other than that, yeah. I was going to ask you, if you took any other song and put it with that performance, would you still hate the performance? Probably. I could see uh, Welcome to the Jungle being there, Sweet Child of Mine being there, any of those uh, popular ones uh, from that time era. But... Yeah, I I think it's his performance of it that I just it's cringy to me. I don't like it. I don't like it. I was say, remember that concert that we went to where we got to see Def Leppard? But that's right, we all got to go and you didn't. So sorry. What was that for? That was when we got to see Journey and Def Leppard perform together, and he had to work. And what was that for? Why are you bringing that up? Oh, I don't know. I have a nice hoodie from it. It's really cool. Yeah. See, and people wonder why. After the concert, Dennis is super pumped because he's got tax money now. And in comes Paul. 
$31,209. Uh-oh, looks like we've got a problem. You owe me $6. Yeah. Did you see that coming? No. What a shitty thing to do. Oh, I saw it coming. Just by Paul Giamatti's character, I saw it coming. Did you see it coming? Yeah, I saw it coming. I thought he was going to take half. No, I'm pretty sure it was going to be all of it. I had a feeling somehow he was going to work it, that he was going to take all of it. And it was going to be the typical cliche storyline of Stacey Jacks doesn't know anything about it. And and that's what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. And then uh, because Drew was so shitty to Sherry, they break up. She quits. And he quits too after he signs the oh, contract. That's right, because he's going to go oh. be he Wolfgang does, von Colt. He decides to pick fame over love. That's One of the right. things I appreciated right before this, right before Drew's performance, is we get Russell Brand's character of Lonnie almost saying out loud the things we are thinking. Like when he goes to introduce Drew, and he goes, like he says, "Well, what's what's your name? What's your band's name?" And he goes, "Wolfgang von Colt." He goes, "And you're sticking with that." Right, and then the second thing he goes, Wolf, Wolfgang Van Colt, and he goes Vaughn, and he goes, not any better. Right. So just little things like that I appreciated from Russell Brand's character. I wanna rock. Ah! Sherry takes refuge at a strip club, the Venus Club, where owner Justice Charlaire offers her a job as a dancer. Shadows of the night harden my heart. But Sherry chooses to wait tables. She realizes she needs more money as Drew signs to Gill's record label. Here I go again. Dennis worries the bourbon room will close and that he has disappointed everyone. Lonnie confesses his love for him and Dennis reciprocates. Can't fight this feeling. Drew realizes his record deal makes him a part of a hip-hop boy band, the Z Guys, as Joshua Z, while Sherry decides to become a dancer at the Venus Club any way you want it. Sherry visits the Hollywood sign where she finds Drew, whose life has not gone as planned. She tells him she did not have sex with Stacy and will be returning to Oklahoma. They part ways, lamenting their situation. Every rose has its thorn. Stacy realizes his feelings for Constance and calls Rolling Stone to learn that she is covering his show at the Bourbon Room. Stacy rushes to the venue where Lonnie leads the patrons against Patricia's protest group. We're not going to take it. We built this city. Stacy recognizes Patricia whom Lonnie exposes as a formal Arsenal groupie. Drew buys back Sherry's stolen records and drops them off at the strip club. So now this is kind of where the movie takes a turn, right? Uh, we have to split up our main characters. And you have the big uh, upset walk in the rain. Absolutely. Uh, to, to Shadows of the Night and Harden My Heart. Mm-hmm. Where we meet Justice, who takes Sherry under her wing. And takes her into the club. Uh, it's I noticed in this scene, uh, Mary J says to uh, Sherry, uh, can you dance? And Sherry says, I'm a better singer than I am a dancer. And I had to laugh because, well, Juliana Huff is a better dancer, clearly, than she's a singer. So I thought that was ironic. Mm-hmm. 
What did you guys think of this whole bit? I kept wondering, I remember when I first saw this movie, was Justice trying to help Sherry? Or was she just interested in another girl for her stage? Uh, maybe a little both. I like to think that she, her heart was in the right place. That's you, what I think, too. You kind of find out later that her heart really is in the right place. But you know, it was at that point that I thought, oh, now we get the, the cliche of the girl going down the wrong path. I yeah, maybe. I don't think they would have introduced that that far into the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, Mary J. Blige's character uh, was trying to do the right thing. But again, you're in the 80s in downtown L.A. So, mm-hmm. you know. And we get a montage of both of them growing into different people in different places. What do you think of Paul Giamatti's singing, Here I Go Again? Uh, first of all, I hate that fucking song. I've always hated that fucking song and will always hate that fucking song. No offense, White and Steak, but I hate that fucking song. So I wasn't really all that impressed with it. You loved it? I figured as much. I thought for a guy who doesn't really do musicals, I thought he held his own okay. Uh, He kind of spoke the song a little bit, but I thought he did okay. Our next number. What did you think of this? Can't fight the feeling. What did you think of this? Did you see this coming? No, I didn't. Uh, well, I don't know. They hint to it pretty early on. They do, right? And I think it's I think it's great that they uh, go all the way with it. Um, I like Ario Speedwagon, but Alec Baldwin really can't sing. And yeah, I just I don't know. It was an odd coupling. I did kind of laugh slightly grown at the montage of them you know on the ferris wheel during the younger times and all the things they went on did because when you remember when russell brand had the little glasses and they showed them on the ferris wheel together with riding the pony together did you not catch that Mm -mm. it was a quick little montage of did you watch the extended cut no are you sure yeah how sure how long was your movie i don't remember i do not remember that at all do you they do have a little montage, but I don't remember that happening. I didn't, it showed like when he hired Lonnie and you guys didn't have that scene? No. Maybe I did watch the extended cut. I don't know. Oh. Well, anyways, uh, I thought it was cute. I thought yeah. they I thought they were cute together. Yeah. Just Alec couldn't sing. I will agree with you. I did not see it coming. I thought it added to the comedy of the movie. You know, and it was nice that, you know, Dennis was so um unfeeling throughout most of the movie like when drew and sherry both quit he didn't care but now he's starting to show a little bit of feelings in this movie sure sure justice tries to convince sherry to take the stage but she is reluctant to do so and eventually she realizes that if she does take the stage justice tells her that you're gonna have to toughen up right oh and with that i started thinking Hey, this is going to be a little bit like La La Land when, you know, your characters, they just grow into different people and they maybe fall in love with who they were at one time if they do get to get back together again. Huh. The one thing I, I kind of appreciated about this scene at first, again, like I said, I was worried, not really worried, but kind of felt like Sherry was being used and she just wanted to put her on stage. But Justice makes a good point of, because throughout the whole montage, back and forth, all the stuff going on, you see Sherry as a waitress getting touched by all the guys, getting pushed around. She has to throw drinks in their face. And basically, Justice tells her, you have to take control of your life. You have to be the one in charge. And the only way that you are going to be in charge is if you are the one on that stage. And by 
that whole symbolism of her going from the waitress to being on stage is almost the first point in the movie where she's taking charge of what's going on in her life. And I love that you got all of that out of it. You know what I got out of it? For being a great dancer like Juliana Huff is, why didn't she do more moves on the pole? She actually worked with real strippers to learn those moves. I don't doubt that for one second because, like I said, I genuinely think she's a phenomenal dancer. I just wanted to see more moves on the pole. That's all. There was certainly a lot of pole dancing in this, that's for sure. Yeah, well, not by not by Sherry. And I, I thought that this was probably the most uh, glaring example how this movie stayed PG-13 because we never saw a single breast in this. No, and I didn't think we would. I didn't think so either. Because there's no place for it. Also, we have Drew changing his image very, very reluctantly, but Paul coerces him and, and shoehorns him into this is what you got to do because this is where the trend is going. Right. Boy band. Right. And back in that time, that he, was, he wasn't he was wrong. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? So uh, I guess you could say that Drew felt like he sold out and he started performing with the Z guys. And, you know, double the Z, double the flavor, or what was that? I don't know, buddy. And, don't know. and Drew, he finally, he gets fed up and it says he doesn't want to do it. And Paul gives him, all right, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll get you on stage tonight. And knowing, I think that, you know, it was going to be a hit is what, <laughs> is what Paul thought. So he gets him onto the only stage that he could immediately, which was the bourbon. And he does it by telling Dennis that Stacy Jacks wants to kick off his solo career at the bourbon. Which Stacy has no idea what's going on. It's total bullshit. Yeah, total, total. So we make our way back to the Hollywood sign. Did you know where that Hollywood sign scene was filmed? At the Hollywood sign? No, it was actually filmed in Florida, a lot of this movie. And that scene, they had to recreate the Hollywood uh, sign over a trash dump. So apparently, with all that acting you're seeing, they are smelling something so repugnant they wanted to puke all the time. Yeah, well... I don't know what that says about the production design team, but... And this is the bit where it was only a matter of time before we got this song, right? Every Rose has its thorn. Um, what'd you guys think of this whole bit where they actually finally talk? Well, I, I thought and I, she's like, I didn't fuck Stacy. Well, I think it's so funny that he finally, you know, kind of brings it up. She says that she didn't, and then he's all okay again. So yeah. it's all that had to happen that night. It could have happened that night when yeah. they were standing outside. If he had just said something uh yeah it could have been over that night i know i know total dickhead total dickhead yeah guy just yeah guys are dumb speaking of dickheads we have another dickhead moment that takes place at about the same time stacy is unhappy with that rolling stone article and he goes to paul's office to find it completely destroyed right well paul walks into his office to find it destroyed by either Stacy or was it the was it Heyman that destroyed it or both? But I love the whole thing with you know the fact that Stacy has him read the article and, and Stacy doesn't seem to really care much about the negative comments about himself. It was when they got to the part about Paul stealing the money from uh, from the Bourbon Room, right? Well, because Stacy had already established that he likes Dennis because mm-hmm. he it's hugged his rock and, and roll he, soul his, brother. Yeah, that's right. It's his rock and roll brother. So. Stacy's pissed, right? Yeah. And he fires Paul. Well, I love the whole thing of Paul tries to, you know, bribe him a little bit with this old bottle of scotch. And uh, the first thing he says, please, please don't pour it on me. 
Yeah. What did you think of Stacy's reaction of not pouring it on him? I thought it was fine. Peeing on his shoes. Yeah. I really appreciated the uh, the very touching uh, act that Drew does to try to get Sherry to warm up to him again by him tracking down her records that she had her signature on in Tower Records. So that was a that was a nice pull by him. When she opened up the bag to see at the strip club to see all those records, did it elicit any emotions from you? No. Because usually you say there are scenes that sometimes gives you a little tear in the eye thing, you know, something like oh, that. Oh, not in this fucking movie. No. How about no. you, Professor? Did it elicit emotions? No. Hmm. I just thought that it, it was that was that was a, a good angle of approach to try to Win get, someone back, yeah. Yeah, at least to get his foot in the door. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. It, I don't even know if it was so much to win her back as I doesn't the comment say something along the lines of that it's never too late to start over, meaning that she could start her life over in there. She didn't have to go home. You know, he, I don't think it was really just a ploy to get her back. I think he's willing to, to get whatever he's able to get out of it and rather than leave this crater of what he had done. Right. I was say, if you think about it, uh, really, it was Drew's actions that the kind of destroyed both their lives at the time. You know, she wouldn't have quit the Berber room if he hadn't been a dick and he hadn't gone off and signed with Paul. Or one could say, had she not talked him into going on stage, then he would have never been on stage when both of them walked out. We can play the sliding door game all day. I, I don't think her, she had the best interest in, at heart for him to help him with his career. Him, on the other hand, didn't have her best interest at heart when he was just a dick to her. Hey, I'm just saying it could have played both ways. Yeah. And then um, after Stacy fires Paul, he wants to get a hold of Cinderella. So he calls uh, Rolling Stone and uh, TJ Miller has a cameo here. This is probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. I kind of like his uh, TJ Miller's delivery. Like mm -hmm. he, are you fucking with me right now? Yeah. It, it took me a moment to place him. Oh, Deadpool. Yes. I just yes. like his, I kind of feel like I'm going to get killed later. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he says, no, she, Constance is at the bourbon covering Stacy Jacks' gig. And Stacy goes, I have a gig? <laughs> he goes, are you Stacy Jacks? Yeah. So they, so Stacy heads off to the bourbon room. And in the meantime, we have a bunch of the protesters across the street. And this is where we get the Twisted Sister song, We're Not Going to Take It. And then we get the other side of the street with the rockers singing. We built the city. And this is where you get a bunch of your rock and roll cameos. Well, one thing, and again, I know you're not a big fan of the mashups, but I kind of appreciated that they were singing, you know, We're Not Going to Take It, when Dee Snyder wrote that song as a protest against that kind of thing. Against people who were fighting against rock and roll. Well, yeah. Nobody ever wrote a rock song for the conservative party. I know, but I just thought it was kind of funny how they reused that song. Oh, yeah. I mean, it in, in that instance, it completely makes sense, right? Yeah. The problem I have, it's a fucking mashup. Yes. All right? Choosing so, to play it with a Starship song, I thought was a little bit odd. Hey, that Starship song shaped my roller skating career at Linwood Rollaway back in the 80s. So... I love that song, but not the way they fucking did it. Mm -hmm. So Stacy arrives and he gets off his motorcycle and he sees Patricia and recognizes her. We find out that Patricia is a former groupie. And her breasts are still holding up well. Yes. Uh, I appreciated that. You noticed throughout the movie, 
uh, Stacy Jacks would always put his hand on women's chest and talk about their soul or talk about, you know, their heart or whatever. And the first line he says to her is, your tits have really held up. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. It's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. And she immediately is taken right back to where she was when she was a groupie. Right. Hence the power of the music. Of rock and roll. But it's too bad. It had to look like this. So the reporter played by Will Forte. What did you think of his role in this movie? I thought it was a cute cameo. Yeah. I, I like Will Forte. So, and he, he plays that type of character perfectly. I liked how in this scene, how he's running back and forth between the two crowds. And then when Stacy Jacks pulls up, Stacy Jacks basically says, thank, thank you. As he hands him off the motorcycle and you kind of see in the background, you see it kind of collapse on him or kind of start falling on him. Yeah. Well, Stacy doesn't put the kickstand down. Mm-hmm. He just lets uh, Will hold the motorcycle. are rejected by the crowd at the bourbon room drew spots sherry in the audience and leaves the stage they reconcile and drew fires paul sherry reunites wolfgang von colt on stage where she and drew perform the song he wrote for her don't stop believing stacy having sex with constance in the bathroom is moved by the song eight months later stacy has rejoined arsenal and performs the song with drew and sherry now part of Wolfgang Von Colt at Dodger Stadium in front of a crowd including Dennis, Lonnie, Justice, a pregnant Constance, and Patricia, who has returned to her rock and roll persona. Roll credits. Okay, take us home. What'd you think of the Z guys performance? It was lame. Yeah, it was dumb. That, it, that that whole subplot of the boy band was dumb. I did not like it. It did remind me of the boy bands of the time. Oh, it was supposed to. And mm-hmm. so it, it did a good job at that. But I guess for me, I didn't like it. But yeah. yeah. Why would Paul ever think that that would go over well? At the at that bourbon, time, yeah. At the bourbon room. Wrong venue. Completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Stacy Jacks uh, finds out what's happening and he goes and... um you know, during the Z guys performance, I think I just like saying that. Apparently. I, I think during their performance, uh, uh, Joshy Z sees Sherry. I think Joshy Z is a better name than Drew. Mm-hmm. Uh, sees her in the audience. She says thank you. Because she has the albums. And so he immediately ditches the band and leaves the stage. Who wouldn't? Which at they that point? just keep going. So I don't know. Was it pre-recorded or something? Oh, yeah, you can even hear people in the audience going, "It's lip sync, it's lip sync." I think they were paying homage to Millie Vanilli. This is where I think Dennis has one of his best lines of the movie when he's talking to Lonnie. Do you remember the line? No, not was, even a little bit. I just threw up, and Lonnie's looking around. Oh yeah, in my pants. pants. In, in my pants. In my pants. So he shit himself because he can't believe what Out was happening. Yeah. In the meantime, we see Constance 
locking eyes with Stacy and Stacy's pointing his finger at her and then a girl intercepts. I love that he puts kissing. I love that he puts up his hand and it's like one one moment. What even sells that even more is Constance is like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I guess she I'll wait. Yeah. She gets it. She gets it. And then off to the rest off to the bathroom they go. Nothing says love like having sex out on the bathroom floor. But they have fairly aggressive sex in that bathroom. Well, the first time, you know, at the pool table, is it on the pool table, right? Where they're getting there, but not quite. Yeah, that's during the interview. That's what, uh, clearly he responded well to it, that the fact that she's willing to be aggressive as well. Right. Yeah. So uh, their crazy matches each other. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Good for them, you know. And so naturally, everything coming full circle, the bourbon crowd is starting to turn, so we need a closing band or we need a song. What song would be better than Don't Stop Believing? Sherry, Sherry takes the stage. Which I get the feeling, and I haven't verified this, but the writer of the original musical, the song Don't Stop Believing, I think, is what was the theme for the movie. It's what wrote this movie. You know, a small town girl, a city boy. I mean, that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so and I, I love the idea that that's the song Drew had been writing the whole movie. Uh, and so they get up on stage and they sing. And there was something that uh, Stacy had said early on in the movie was he was looking for that new sound, something that would move him to in a, in a new direction. And then you kind of see his head pop out of the bathroom when that song is playing. Yeah. And so naturally he loves it. Constance takes the condom out of her hair because she's just rolling on the floor. That was kind of funny. That was. And then uh, we cut to eight months later. And and we have, wait a minute, this isn't Stacy's song, but Stacy's singing it. Right. And so you kind of know that he went to Drew and Sherry and now they're part of the band and they're on stage singing with them as well. Well, I'm guessing Constance is in the uh, wings, pregnant. My guess was... Uh, Wolfgang von Colt is now the opening act for Arsenal. Oh, you sure. know how sometimes they bring on the opening acts to sing a song with them, kind of thing. Never once seen that in my life. But I've seen it, but yeah. yeah. And so we we get to see pretty much all of our main characters, you know, reunited in the audience and on the stage and such, and happy ending. Yeah, and and I think this is my favorite part of the movie: the ending. The ending. You got it, guys. You got it. During the credits. Did you catch the final song that we got from two of our actors? Paradise City? No. No. The very last one. It was played over the it was played during the credits. Rock Rock You Like a Hurricane. Oh yeah, yeah. Stacy Jackson Sherry. Yeah. No, I well, I knew it was Rock You Like a Hurricane, but the only reason I knew who sang it was because I had the captions on. Oh, you were far, uh, who originally sang it? Uh, well, Scorpion originally oh, sang okay. it. Okay, just just making sure, buddy. I was a fan just, of that music at that time. Okay, Harden My Heart. Who sang that? I wasn't a fan of that song. Such a fucking liar. Quarter Flash. Who sang? Dead or Alive, Bon Jovi. Yes, Wanted, Dead or Alive. Oh, who sang uh, Shadows of the Night? Pat Benatar. Well done, Professor. Well done. Uh, who sang Heaven? What part of the movie was that? Was With that? more than words? Oh, that wasn't White Snake, was it? Heaven? No, no, it was no, not. no. It was no. Heaven. Well, not Foreigner. Warrant. 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 So yeah, 
There you go. I think everyone else's was pretty easy. Oh, Sister Christian, anybody? Night Ranger. Well done. Well done. And that's one of those songs where nobody knows the name of the song. A Sister Christian? Yeah, nobody knows the name of the song because no. it, because it's it's not mentioned very much. Everybody can sing it. Motor in. But it's the opening line of the song. Right. But Sister Christian, but, oh, but, your time has come. come. But nobody... Uh, all the times that I would, uh, that was always my stumper. Back in the day, I would say, what's the name of that song? They wouldn't get it, huh? Nobody would ever get it. Ah, Sister Christian. Sister Christian. I think it's best used in the movie Boogie Nights. Do you ever see that? Oh, God, it's been a day. Yeah. We should put that in the helmet, Boogie oh, Nights. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I have a question for both of you. We are all ears, comic book guy. In Lord of the Rings, Merry and Pippin sing a bunch of songs. Does that make it a musical as well? When you look up Lord of the Rings, does it say that it's a musical? And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in the podcast where I take whatever movie we are reviewing and compare it to the greatest musical ever made. I mean, movie ever made. Lord of the Rings. In Rock of Ages, both Drew and Sherry are on their own journeys. But really, the story focuses more on Drew's journey from a scared wannabe rock star to a sellout to a full-fledged rock star. Along the way, it's Sherry that is pushing Drew along his journey. So that really makes Drew more of our Frodo and Sherry our Samwise. Dennis Dupree, the owner of the Bourbon Room, he would be my pick for Aragorn. He's the reluctant leader who tries to hold everything together and keep the fellowship focused. His Legolas would be Lonnie. Lonnie is loyal, swift of movement, and seems to always be by Dennis's side. That makes our fellowship Drew, Sherry, Dennis, and Lonnie. Justice, the owner of Venus Gentleman's Club, lights the way for Sherry when her journey seems to be too tough. She gives off to me both of a Gandalf and a Gladriel-type vibe. Gollum, that would be Mayor Mike Whitmore. He's content to let everyone else run things while he just focuses on whatever he wants and whatever pleasures he's into. Sauron the White, that would be Patricia Whitmore. She's the one who claims to be fighting for what's right, but has her own selfish motives for working against our fellowship. Sauron is the system that everyone fights against, but is also controlled by. Paul Gill, the agent, is a good representation of the system as well as its corruption on the people it comes in contact with. He takes their talent twists it for his own use, not caring about the people involved. And when the, when the time comes that they are useless to him, he just throws them away. All in his pursuit for total control and domination. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Rock of Ages, it's represented by fame. It's what Paul Gill tempts others with. And it's what ultimately corrupted Stacy Jacks and almost got Drew as well. Until he's able to cast off Paul thanks to Sherry's influence. 
And there you have it, my comparison between Rock of Ages and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What say you, sir? I appreciated and thought that the fellowship works strong. It's it, it's a good fit for that. The uh, the Gandalf angle, yeah, okay, I'll take that because she does kind of sort of shepherd uh, Sherry along the way. Uh, I, I thought Paul was uh, not as strong, and I didn't think that the ring was as strong. So I'm somewhere probably B minus. B minus. Um. I thought you had your cast of characters. I thought that your comparison made sense. Um, however, yeah, fucking Rock of Ages, dude. I'm going to give you a C. Would it have been better if I sang it? Oh, my gosh. You would have gotten a fucking A+. I could start it over. Do it. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, do you want to rate this flick? Rock and roll! Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Somebody says, hey, do you want to watch Rock of Ages? Fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it and you're one and done. You saw it for whatever reason, but eh, you're never going to see this again, no. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is... Oh, for shit's sake. What the hell was that? That kind of sort of felt like a kick to the balls. Thank you so much for that because somebody owes me two hours and three minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right. Uh, there, comic book guy, your movie, your pick, well, if I'm your gonna, first. If I'm going to go and rate this, I want to see if you can get back on track. What rating, Don? Will I be giving this movie? Uh, you are going to give Rock of Ages 3.25 fucks. Is that your final answer? Three fucks. Three fucks. That's my final answer. Three fucks. Okay. Rock of Ages takes us back in time to an era of music so sublime. The 80s rock anthems, Loud and Proud, in this movie, they play them loud. Tom Cruise's Stacy Jack steals the show. His charisma and voice, a perfect combo. The rest of the cast, they hold their own. But the plot feels like it's a little bit overblown. The love story feels overly cliche. And the pacing could have been better, I'd have to say. But the music is what makes this flick a celebration of a time that was so very sick. If you're a fan of hair metal and of glam... This movie will definitely be your jam. But if you're not, it might be a bore and leave you wanting something more. Overall, Rock of Ages is a fun ride. A nostalgic trip that's worth your time. It's not perfect, but it's not a lame duck. So I awarded two and a quarter music fucks. Two and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy. I did not see that coming at all. No, neither did I. I thought he was all gaga over it. I, I, throughout this, I've said I like the music and I like the mashups. Never said I really liked the movie because I said several times the movie and the acting wasn't well done in this. So, listeners, you don't know this, but John has brought up Rock's, Rock of Ages, I don't know, maybe seven, eight times i feel like we kind of got catfished here uh you know what i think it was kind of like what you said don when you first saw it 
you remember liking the movie. When you've seen it a few, you know, after that, you're wondering why you liked it so much. That's your score. And there you go. There you go. And I stand by it. Yeah. All right. Who wants to go next? I do. I do. I do. All right, Professor. Wow me. All right. Here it comes. Rock of Ages. This movie is a movie that I had no desire to see. I knew that it was something to do with Tom Cruise, and that was about it. And it's kind of amusing when somebody asks me, so what movie are you reviewing this week? And then the next question, if they're not sure, is, have you seen it before? And then I say no. And then I say, um, and then they want to know, what's it about? And then I tell them, well, I just told you everything I know about it. Oh, And so in watching the movie, the main characters, completely forgettable, clichéic story, and I thought that the uh, supporting cast, uh, their characters were a lot more interesting than the main characters. Stacy Jacks, he's probably my favorite character in the movie. The first half of Stacy Jacks that we get, where we get to see his eclectic, bizarre behavior with his, uh, the way that he expresses himself... (laughs) is amusing that moment at the end when he comes up to constance and he says open your mouth and then she opens it a little bit and then a little bit more and then finally it's open all the way and you're thinking where is this going to go oh i get it yep and that's what he does okay in general watching this movie it felt a lot like high school musical but for the rock and roll crowd and i'm guessing that probably even though I never watched it, I'm guessing that Glee, this is probably what Glee felt a lot like. There were a lot of songs in this movie. There were 24 fucking songs sung in this movie. That's a song every 10 minutes. Drove me up a tree. And the songs, they were not necessarily that enjoyable because, as I stated earlier, they didn't have the drive or the energy. The, the, the music was toned down or, or softened up to convey you know, this, this blossoming love story or you know, the frustration that some of the characters were having. In the end, you know, I'm glad that I got to the end of the movie and it's like, okay, I'm done with that and I don't have to worry about seeing it again. So, 1.5 fucks. 1.5 fucks from the professor. Well, I like to think that every movie has a redeeming quality, at least one. That's what keeps it from being a zero. I try really hard not to give a movie a zero because I know what it takes to make a movie in 48 hours and to actually have a budget and time and do something on a grand scale. I mean, I just, I have so much uh, respect for that. That being said, I think that the one redeeming quality here is... Yeah, I'm not even sure. But there's got to be one, right? The problem I have with this movie is they took, what did you say, 24 songs, Professor? They took 24 songs that to a lot of people are absolute classics. And I get that tastes vary and people like different things, but in my opinion, they just weren't performed very well. And I look at it as... Dr. Cuckoo Pants shitting all over my Def Leppard. So, because of that, I have to give Rock of Ages 0.5 fucks. That just happened. Yes. Yes, it did. 
That's a that's probably one of your lowest scores ever, if I were to guess. Yeah, I don't think I've given a zero yet. No, but you haven't. With 0.5 fucks from me, 1.5 fucks from the professor, and two and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy, that gives Rock of Ages an average of 1.4 fucks, which now ties it in the 36th spot with The Natural. It is slightly better than Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2013 Remake, Friday the 13th, the original, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 2010 remake. And it is slightly worse than A Scanner Darkly, Halloween, the 2007 remake, and Moulin Rouge. Another musical. Yeah, weird. And then which one do you think is better out of those two, Moulin Rouge or Rock of Ages? Shoot me. Shoot me in the fucking head. (laughs) I feel like we have a marathon coming on. I feel like you suck. Man, this, I don't know. Watching it the whole time, I'm thinking this has John written all over it. It totally does. It's the 80s songs. They're saying really cheesy, and he likes this type of the rock thing. And, the rock and roll lifestyle. That could be me. And all the, and all the girls dancing around and you know their little skimpy outfits and the pole dancing. Yeah, I, I still say we got catfished, that's and, how I'm, I and I'm sticking to it. That's how I looked in college. That doesn't surprise me. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we will be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we have blogs about all of the movies we watch. We have all of our show notes. We post all of our podcasts, trivia, anything else we can figure out to put on there, as well as teaser images for our upcoming shows. And if you would like to make a suggestion about a movie you would like us to review, we even have a place for that on the website. Beyond that, you can find us at everywhere that hosts social media or hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else who has suggested a movie and who listens to us. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Rock on. Thanks for listening. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I know he's listening. Zach, quit rolling your fucking eyes. Def Leppard fucking rules. From underneath a pile of girls and Stacey Jackson's or Stacey Jacks. Uh, yeah, what a way to wake up, right? <clears throat> All right, you guys ready? I don't know. We'll just play with it. That's usually how we get it going. That's good too. Oh, thanks, buddy. <clears throat> eh. Yeah, I know, dickhead. I know. I'm glad we're back to normal. Here we go. Yeah, so much for being nice. That lasted a week. Yeah, that over and done with. <laughs> over and done with. Yeah, well, there you go. And Shankman's no hack. I mean, he's directed some films that, some pretty good films. Yeah. I mean, the only thing of note that connects him with this, I feel like, is Hairspray. Oh, well, then what the fuck was I thinking? Barback Drew Bowley 
I didn't know his last name was Bowley. No wonder I fucking hated him. This is the point in the podcast where I take whatever musical... <laughs> Fuck. We can hear that, dickhead. I didn't even hear what grade did you give me? C. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't even hear it. I didn't even pay attention. I know. Well, neither was I, so no. <laughs> we're even. I already have it. Julie has a suggestion for porn name too, but I think it's just obvious. I, I already have it. Who wants it? Who wants it? Tell me who wants it. Oh, I want it. Do you want it? I want it badly. Cock of ages. That was Julie's suggestion as well. I win. That's low-hanging fruit. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Come up with something better. I don't, and I'm not going to. Well, then, fuck off. (laughs) All right, fuck off. Good night.